welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on December 5th, Lord's Day Service. chapter 1, verses 48 through 53, a little bit about them. Numbers chapter 1, beginning in verse 48, For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them according, excuse me, among the children of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of the testimony, over all its furnishings, and over all things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levite shall take it down. When the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levite shall set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they did. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for teaching us, for providing us with the means that we may come before you and worship, and providing the people who allow us, who prepare the way for us to come into your presence. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. These men... The Levites were given the task of caring for all related to the worship of God. They were not priests, although priests came from the same tribe. They were faithful servants of Yahweh whose work allowed others to come into God's presence. They were protectors and keepers of the day-to-day actions, the furniture, and general the preparation for the worship of the people. Their work was not as public as that of the priest. Nevertheless, their work was pivotal. No Levites, no tabernacle. And if there's no tabernacle, God does not dwell with His people. 
From the beginning, God appointed servants, people to serve Him in this particular way in preparation for worship. That may be an affront to some of us because we think, well, anybody can come to God any way he wants to. God likes me just as I am. I don't have to go through anyone. But remember how worship was established. It's not saying that an Israelite could not pray. They could. Anyone could pray at any time. And this is even the Old Covenant or the New Covenant. But the worship of God as He ordained it was in a specific way. And there was a specific group who was appointed to prepare for worship. We heard this morning the parable of the Lord coming in the parable of the virgins. That parable is commonly read during the season of Advent because it is one about waiting, about preparing for the Lord's coming. Every time we come together in worship, there is a strong sense in which the Lord's coming is prepared. God appointed these people for specific reasons. We read in Numbers chapter 8, verses, Numbers chapter 8, verses 6 through 19, of how the Levites were set apart for God's service. The ceremony was similar to when the priests were set apart for his service. These Levites were washed, shaved, and then the three primary offerings that we read about in the first chapters of Leviticus were given on their behalf. This was essentially the ordination ceremony. This service of washing, of shaving, and the offerings sanctified them. It set them apart for God's work. Now the choice of the Levites was not accidental. In Exodus 32, we read the story of how the golden calf was made when Moses was on the mount receiving the law. Israel was below, and they were calling for an image of God to be made. Now, it's easy for us to complain, to say, look at those ignorant Israelites. How could they call for a golden calf when all those miracles were done? Have you ever had that thought? I have. But let's just keep it between me and you, okay? Let's not, don't spread that in anywhere, okay? But I have had that thought myself. But in their defense... If you were told to wait for someone, and he had gone up to a mountain, and you had already seen Egyptians die by the thousands at the hand of God, and you had seen your leader go up to God's holy mountain where the presence of God surrounds it, and he had been there for 40 days, 40 days, a month, and 10 more days after that, do you think you'd be a little bit impatient? We're not, they didn't have smartphones. They didn't have social media to waste their time with for 40 days while they're waiting. They couldn't scroll through their Facebook feed and say, Man, I wish one of my Egyptian friends would post some type of cool picture while we're waiting for Moses to come down. No, they're waiting. And they're impatient. God did not move. Waiting is hard. 
So while they were there, they, they thought, well, Moses is not going to come. He must be dead. God must have killed him. So we need to move on. How do we move on? Let's make an image. Now again, that's not what crosses our mind. But when you are a people who are surrounded by idolatry, that is the first thing that comes to mind. Well, we waited for deliverance. It didn't happen. It's time to move on. How do we move on? Golden calf. So Moses, of course, came down. And when he came down, he was rightfully angry. He says in Exodus 32, verse 26, then, who is on the Lord's side? The tribe of Levi says, we are. So you have an entire tribe, which is incidentally also the tribe that Moses and Aaron themselves were from. The tribe of Levi said, we are. Then Moses said, quote, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and kill, every, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor, end quote. This is the point at which modern Christians get really uncomfortable. This is not just the people out there. This is the people in here. Now, don't, please, we don't have permission to do this now, okay? This is not what you can do when you have a disagreement with someone in the church. You say, oh, I'm going to claim Exodus 32 as my life verse and then go through the camp, okay? No, that, that's not the, the point. These people were leading an open rebellion against the true God. And those 3,000 who had led that rebellion, the Levites killed them. And by this act of holy war, the Levites set themselves apart for God's service. In verse 29, Moses said to the Levites, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and his brother, so that the Lord might bestow a blessing upon you this day. Before holy war could go into Canaan, it started within Israel. Because there was a lot of Canaan that was already in Israel. And it had to be removed. The gospel had not come yet. Not the way that we know it. Jesus was not with them. At least not in His incarnate and glorious form as He would come later. By obeying God, the Levites won for themselves lifetime service to God. But that's not where we stop reading about the Levites. Their work continued throughout the Old Covenant, and it actually expanded. Later they were the main singers once the temple was built. And then whenever you see, of course we know the story of Israel, and then they eventually split into two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom of Israel, and then you have the kingdom of Judah. But, and of course they have times of strength where they grow, and then times of weakness. Especially Judah goes up sometimes and down. Israel was mostly just down. Whenever, though, you see a restoration, whenever you see a reformation among God's people, you will always find the Levites there. It always mentions them. When God's Word is recovered, it's often the Levites who help recover it. 
They are rebuilding part of the temple because the temple, when, when the Lord's name declined among God, His people, then the temple would go into disrepair. And then the Levites would come back and they would help to restore it. And at one point they discovered God's law and it was read. You always see the Levites as a part of the Reformation. They're still, throughout the Old Covenant, protecting and enabling the worship of God. We often think it's just the priest, but it's not. Someone has to be there to do the dirty work. The work that the Lord has called these men to do. The priests are always accompanied by Levites. But what about, though, in the New Covenant? In the New Covenant, the priesthood is no longer by birth. It's not, the, it's not those who are descended from Aaron. Those who serve in the worship of God are no longer from the tribe of Levi. Nevertheless, there is still a need to protect and free the work of the gospel to go forward. After Jesus ascended to the Father, the apostles were responsible for fulfilling the mission given to them. They were called to teach the nations what we know as the Great Commission. And this was primarily through the dual ministries of prayer and the proclamation of the Word. Yes, everyone can share the gospel. Everyone can make God's Word known. But it is a unique responsibility that is more heavily laid upon God's ministers. But in the book of Acts... The early ministry of the church was threatened. And it wasn't threatened by significant heresy. That would come later. It wasn't threatened first and foremost by the attack of God's enemies. Although that that had come in small part and would come even more in time. No, it was threatened due to a conflict over whose widows are receiving the proper care. You had widows who were Greek by birth, who had been Jewish, and they were Jewish converts, and then or people, Jewish Greeks who were converted to Christianity, and then you had those who were fully-blooded Jews who were also converted to Christianity, and some were saying the Jewish widows are getting better treatment than the Greek widows. This was the major spat that caused a significant problem in the church and threatened to derail the gospel. You say, oh, it really couldn't have. Have you ever seen a conflict in the church? Do you think that a conflict like this could not derail the church? Absolutely. We all know the the, the statement, you give someone an inch and they take a mile, okay? You give Satan a micro, just a portion of an inch, and he takes 50 miles. We're told to give no place to Satan, and this was a way that the early church could have potentially given significant place to Satan. So what is the answer? The apostles were great men filled with the Holy Spirit, but even they couldn't do everything the church needed. Help was missing. But thankfully, there was an answer. 
And the answer was not something that they just prayed and all of a sudden this unique idea came to their heads. We, how about this? How about this? We appoint this awesome group of men called deacons. No, they had an example in the old covenant for how to take care of this issue. How could we help and improve our service? The example was the Levites. The Levites of the Old Testament are the pattern for deacons in the New Testament. Just as the Old Covenant priests were needed to help in the work of the they needed help in the work of the ministry, so did the apostles. Seven men, full of the Holy Spirit, were appointed to this work of service. And we see the results of this appointment. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says that God poured His blessings on them as a result, quote, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Choosing deacons furthered the spread of God's word and increased the number of disciples. We don't automatically equate those two in our minds. We think, well, this is just work that has to be done and someone's going to do it, but the real major stuff is done by the people who have a more public face, right? No, that's not how Scripture treats it at all. It was the work of choosing these deacons that allowed the church to grow. They grew, we know, 3,000 men not counting their house, their, their, their families, wives and children. 3,000 men honored the Lord and were baptized at Pentecost. And then you have, we looked a few weeks ago at the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira and how the Lord, or excuse me, how the people responded there. And then the next chapter we see this this conflict that comes and how they appointed the deacons and then it was through the appointment and the proper administration of the deacons that the Word of God could increase because now the apostles can give themselves to their gifts and the deacons can give themselves to their gifts. In one sense, we, are, we all are servants in the church. God has given to every one of you, whether you are a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl. He's given you gifts to use. And we should strive to serve as we are able and to serve where we are able. We're not all just, you know, being a Christian doesn't mean you're a plug and play that if there's a need, we, just anyone can be put in that need and do it. Okay? You are gifted in a particular way. Yet the calling of a deacon, serving God's people in preparation and administration has been a unique necessity since the Old Covenant. You'll notice that up to this point I've not spoken, I've not spoke of the character qualifications for deacons given in Act, excuse me, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now those qualifications are necessary. But they are not the only qualifications. In the same way that being on the high school football team did not mean that I should be a wide receiver, which I was not. 
Being a godly man in the church does not mean that same man should be a deacon. This work calls for certain spiritual gifts. And in addition to those gifts, it requires a willingness and ability to physically work. And it requires regular, consistent sacrifices of time. God does not call all men to be deacons. Consider the numbers. Again, in the early church, 3,000 male members and seven deacons. Now, we're not trying to maintain that same proportion. But the point is, is this is not something where everyone is expected to do this work. So how then do you know if you were called to be a deacon? Well, rather than over-spiritualizing it and, and, and waiting for some powerful movement of the Spirit, which I'll tell you is probably not going to happen, just ask, do you have a passion to see the practical needs of the church met? Are you currently giving of your time, your strength, and your gifts for this type of work? If this is on your heart and you are supported in this by your wife, don't wait for someone to tap you on the shoulder and say, have you thought about this? No. That's the beauty of the gifts of God. If you're called to something, start working. Do the work. If you're called to minister to the gospel, this is something that I was told years ago in my teenage years, and I've never forgotten it. An older preacher said, if you believe you're called to preach, don't wait for a 1,000-member church for the pastor to ask you to come speak on a Sunday. Okay? Go to the nursing home and talk to a group of five people. That's where you start. Start small. And as you start small, whatever your gift is, when you start small, then the Lord will add opportunities for you to grow. And you can serve. If you are faithful in little things, He will make you faithful in large things. Solomon said, if you see a man who is faithful in his business, he will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. But... Often we want, when we say, I'll do this, we want to immediately shoot up to the top to be recognized. And I will tell you this, the work of being a deacon is not glamorous work. It's not work that everyone sees. In fact, often people don't see. They don't know the work. We just come together and all these chairs are here. But it's not like the Lord does a miracle and we pray and the chairs just show up. It is a miracle, but it's a miracle of God's Spirit in laying it upon people's hearts who will come and do this. And that's one element of the work. So, if you are able... And you are supported in this because this is a, not just 
an individual calling. This is something that your spouse, your wife, men, must also be in full support with you on. If that's the case, start serving right now. Talk to Rodney. I'm sure he can come up with some ways to help. But God may not have called you and equipped you, or this may not, maybe he's called and equipped you, but it's not the time for you. Maybe you have responsibilities that don't allow you to do that. You know what? That's okay. Because there are gifts you have that you can use right now. The Spirit of God does not bypass some saints and say, I'm sorry, you just can't really help in the kingdom right now. You can watch. It's not the way it works. Wherever you are, again, this includes you kids. Kids, look at me. There are things that God can do through you and only through you right now. There are ways that you can help in God's kingdom right now. The people to ask is starting with your parents. You can ask your mom and dad, how can I serve God? So it starts with obedience, but then there are things that you can do. And parents, when your kids ask you, encourage it. No matter what, God has given you gifts. God could have chosen any number of supernatural means to accomplish His purposes, but He chose to use us, flesh and blood, human beings with clay feet who need to repent more times than we can count every day. He's given us, all of us, everything we need to do the work of the restoration of His world. He's given you a call to steward a particular piece of territory. Not just physically, but whatever He puts in front of you. He's given you what you need to be a faithful steward there. The needs are great. The needs in our church are great. So as we wait now, just as those virgins waited for the coming of the bridegroom, we don't stand or sit idly by. No. Give yourself to the work that God puts in front of you. He has given you what you need to do that work. All it requires is you to give yourself, to submit to His calling, and to put yourself forward to do the work. And everything else will be covered. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Our Father in God, thank you for the gift of servants in your church. Thank you for giving us all the gifts that are needed to serve your kingdom. I pray that you would help us to see what they are, that we would give ourselves to this work. And I pray this through the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.